Well, hi there. It is such a treat to be with you today. I have, uh, I've been a friend of Evans for several years, but I've never been able to visit your church and your community. Um, and I, I obviously, I would love to one day, um, but it's impossible at the moment for obvious reasons. But it is a real joy to be with you like this. I have actually been to San Diego. In fact, I spent probably a week, 10 days in your city about six years ago in 2014. I couldn't believe how beautiful it was. It, this is, I'm not just sucking up to you here. It genuinely is one of those cities I mentioned. It's like, you have to go there. It was so stunning and uh, just had a most wonderful time. I wandered around the zoo on my own for a day. Uh, I just so enjoyed exploring the gas lamp quarter. I had a very awkward experience in a restaurant in the gas lamp quarter where I suggested that a few of us might go out for a meal together. We went in, sat down, got water for the table, opened the menus, and then realized how just crazily expensive it was and literally had to do the walk of shame all out again. So I have some very, very fond memories of San Diego, but occasionally an embarrassing one. La Jolla as well, is that how you say it? La Jolla? It looked like La Jolla to me. I was set straight by someone. And San Diego is also where I discovered what a burrito is for the first time. I felt like a total fool for asking. So I have a lot of very happy memories of your city. Um, and hopefully I'll be able to come there one day and, me and meet you. I'll bring you greetings from my church. This is our church staff team in London, King's Church in London. Um, we are, it's a, a wonderful staff team, wonderful church. And I'm just bringing greetings from them saying hello. We know we live many thousands of miles away, but... We love you guys. Thank you for all you're doing. And uh, we, we are just, yeah, feel friendship and affinity with you. And it's a real joy to be joining you as part of this series, the Life in the Spirit series, because this is a, a passion of mine and, and has been for my whole ministry life, really. Um, so if you have a Bible, do you want to turn to Galatians chapter 5? And if you want extra points, you can turn to Galatians 5 and Ephesians 5. We're actually going to read a bit of both passages, but be mostly in Galatians chapter 5. And... Uh, as we're reading this, start doing this series and about to read these texts, it's good to remember what Jesus said about the Spirit on the night before he died. Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going away, but it is just as well for you. Because if I don't, the Spirit won't come, and then where would you be? It's just such a weird thing to say to these about almost grieving, confused, baffled disciples. And Jesus is saying, oh, no, no, you don't want me. If I stay around, you won't get the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, what use is that? Oh, no, it's for your good that I go away. Because until I go away, the helper won't come. And that shows me, and I'm sure it's showing us, even as we're doing this series together, how vital it is that we cultivate life in the Spirit that we don't demote the Holy Spirit to be the junior partner, heaven's butler, the bottom of the pile. That actually we recognize, you no, know, Jesus said, it's actually for our good that we live life in the Spirit rather than having to be physically clung to Jesus. And that is an amazing gift. And it's something, therefore, that we need to understand. How do we live life in the Spirit? How do we, in the language Paul's going to use in this passage, how do we keep in step with the Spirit? Let's read Galatians chapter 5 beginning at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the, desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, 
sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's also walk by the Spirit. Let's not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And now if you just quickly turn to Ephesians 5 and verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of God. Paul uses four pictures of life in the spirits in these two short passages. And the famous one, the one that we put, if your church is at all like mine, the one that we get children to draw pictures of and stick different fruits on and say, oh, look, you know, the fruit of patience is like a peach and the fruit of love is like a banana. The fruit of the spirit, that's the famous one, right? That's the one that we put on a Christian calendar and make little songs and memory verses about. I had, to, I had to learn a song about that when I was about eight or nine years old, right? The fruit of the spirit is a really well-known one and that's the one that gets put on Christian bookmarks. But it's not a practice, actually. It's not a, it's not a discipline. It's not a set of things you can do. It's actually the result of a set of things you can do. It's not a way of living, it's the result of a way of living. It's the fruit that grows on the spirit-filled life. It's not the means of living the spirit-filled life. Do you see the difference I'm drawing? And I think that's kind of important for us to know because of the four images Paul uses, three of them are, this is how you live life in the spirit. One of the images is actually, this is the stuff that will grow in your life as you live life in the spirit. And that's different. You see, it's no good me trying to produce fruit. That's not, I have... I'm blessed with a garden with a few trees in it, and none of them stand there trying to produce fruit. The green gauge tree, the apple tree, the pear tree, they're not going, that's not how trees function, is it? They produce fruit as the natural outgrowth of who they are, and they produce fruit because other things are true. They produce fruit because they have the DNA of an apple tree, and they're planted in good soil, and it's rained, and there's sunshine, and their leaves are open towards the sun, and there are nutrients in the soil. There's a lot of environmental and identity-related factors that make the tree produce fruit. But trying to produce fruit is not what it does. So if we are looking for spiritual practices from the fruit of the Spirit, that's not where we find them, right? We need to study those fruits, and in the series we may well do that. But that's not where we go to say, oh, how do I live the Christian life? I do those nine things. No, those nine things are things that are produced in you as you live life in the Spirit. But they're not a way of doing it. But the other three pictures of life in the Spirit, in many ways, give us a lot more guidance on what exactly we do. If we want to live life with Jesus and not just for Jesus, if we want to live life in the Spirit and not just life with the label of Christian over our heads, then there are three ways of being in these different images that can really help us. 
Paul says, walk by the Spirit. He says, be led by the Spirit. And he says, be filled with the Spirit. Right? Walk by the Spirit, Galatians 5, 16 and 26. Be led by the Spirit, Galatians 5, 18. Be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5, 18. And those three different images each have something very precious to teach us about the nature of life in the Holy Spirit. The first one's in Galatians and it says, walk by the Spirit, or in some translations, which I actually think are better, keep in step with the Spirit. The reason I, I think it's better is because the image it's drawing from is a military one of keeping in rank. And that's actually what the Greek word means, which I find helpful. I think walk by the Spirit implies you could be just sort of going for an amble. I'm just walking with, yeah, just, you know, keeping my distance from the other person and so on. I'm just ambling around. But keep in step with the Spirit has a much more precise meaning in the sense of walking and keeping in rank. It's a group of soldiers are all in line and they have to ensure that they don't get out of step with one another. Now, you can't tell this. I'm sure I don't look like I was, but I was in the military. Maybe, it's, maybe the hair gives it away. But I was in the military at school. I, in fact, I used to run the army section at my school when I was 18. I went to a school where you had to do a lot of military stuff. And um, so for four years, I was in it. And so I used to do and then eventually teach a lot of marching. And so, you know, all we have, we have to sort of like this and uh, saluting the longest way up, all this sort of jazz and, you know, all in uniform. And it was kind of a mixture of a bit of fun and a kind of English training thing about how to be a young man. But one of the things you do as you're teaching people how to march is you have to teach people how to stay in rank with one another. And the really difficult bit that a lot of people, when they're first learning to march, don't get is turning. Right, so there's a lot of bad, a lot of ways. That, you know, when young kids first join the army section at school, I, you, they're always messing around. They don't know how to do it. They walk, and they, they, it's just marching is harder than it looks. But the thing that's really difficult is to turn because when you turn, of course, the person at one end of the line is doing very, very short paces, and the people on the outside are doing very, very long paces. And so, a left wheel or a right wheel is quite a difficult maneuver to pull off. And you can't do it. If you all try and keep in step with the person to your left and your right. If you do that, it disintegrates into chaos, right? If everybody's doing this, but I'm looking there, I'm looking there, and so I'm going back and forth. It doesn't work. Instead, what you do is you identify one person for the squad who's usually in the front right or the front left position, and you all take your cues off that person. And their pace, their calling it, effectively becomes the... The guide for the whole squadron or the whole platoon, the whole squad as you're, as you're marching together. And so what you're continually doing is saying, I want to keep my reference point being this guy rather than the people either side of me, even though they're closer. But this person becomes my authority. And Paul is saying in this image, that guy is the Holy Spirit, right? You keep in step with him. And you'll find, if you do, that you actually keep in step with one another as well. But that's not how you're supposed to live the Christian life. Looking at one another and going, oh, okay, what about, how, how are you doing and how are you doing? Oh, I'll try and triangulate between the middle. That's not how the Christian life works. He says the Christian life is a matter of keeping in step with the Spirit. He's your anchor. He's your corner piece. He's the one you look to and say, if I'm in step with him and these people are a little out, that's okay, I'll let them be out. I've got to keep in step with this guy. And we maintain rank with the spirit that's how we walk the christian life so we walk in the spirit we keep in step with him we say what's the spirit doing not just what are other christians doing what's the holy spirit doing what's he saying am i out of step with him somehow so we take an incredibly ordinary example how do you decide what tv to watch right if you're like me been you know out of sort of lockdown and all the challenges of the recent months you watch a bit more tv than you used to possibly because you're inside more how do you decide what television to watch? 
you're a Christian, right? You want to submit your life to Jesus. How do you decide? Well, one way of doing it is to look to the person to your right and the person to your left and kind of average them out, right? Okay, I'll just... I go with him and then here, oh, you watch you go, okay. You, this person watches quite a lot of TV and quite a lot of racy stuff. And this person actually doesn't really watch very much at all. So I'll split the difference and I'll watch some and some. And of course, the problem if you do that is you very quickly feel quite superior relative to this person and quite guilty relative to this person. And Paul says, that's not the image I'm using for the Christian life. You don't look at one another. In fact, in this letter, if you know Galatians, this church is a terrible example of people looking at one another. How do I do this? Because the church is a mess. So that's not what you do. You look at the Holy Spirit and you take your cue from him. You set time aside to talk to him in prayer. You listen to his voice in scripture. You discern his wisdom in the counsel of other people and in the church. I'm not saying you ignore the counsel of the church. It's very important. But that's not the only factor. And it's certainly not one by averaging out two random people. And you keep looking at the Spirit's feet. Now, I did this a few months back. I did an audit, like a personal audit. What is the Holy Spirit challenging me on? Let me look at all of the different areas in my life. And what is the Spirit saying? You need to do more of this or less of that. What truths has God revealed in Scripture about this? I had a whole bunch of areas the way I spent my time, my money, my marriage, loads of things. I just did a little audit, sketched it all out on a piece of paper. Say, Lord, what is the Spirit saying? What does, what does the Word of God say? What does the counsel around me say? What is the Spirit speaking to me personally about as I pray to God? How am I, how am I being challenged and shaped by keeping in step with the Spirit and keeping time with Him in all of these different areas? And what am I going to do about it? Since we live by the Spirit, Paul says, let's keep in step with the Spirit. That's the first image he uses. The second image is in verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The works of the flesh, Paul says, they're obvious. If you live like that, you won't inherit the kingdom. If you belong to Christ, you've crucified the flesh with everything it wants to do. And the fruit that will grow in your life, love, joy, peace, and so on, is what will come if you live in the Spirit. And good fruit grows on trees that are led by the Holy Spirit. So we then need to ask the question, okay, so if the way I produce fruit is by being led by the Spirit, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? How does that even work? My favorite illustration of this comes from uh, Judson Cornwall, who's an American pastor. He's dead now, but I just found it such a helpful illustration. I think about it all the time to this day. And he gives the illustration, you may have heard this before, but he gives the illustration of a harbor pilot. Right, which I imagine are pretty common in your country, they are in mine, that when a large ship enters a narrow river instead of being out on the open ocean, in order to get to safe harbour, what they do is instead of the pilot, the captain continuing down the river, he goes, oh, yeah, no, it's fine. I've been sailing this for weeks. I know what I'm doing. They don't do that because river estuaries are complicated and they have sandbanks and currents and tides and rips and all sorts of things that make it difficult. So what they do, the captain will radio for a harbour pilot who knows the, pi- knows the harbour inside out. And the harbour pilot will then come and join the boat and will come and stand next to the captain and at that point begin to say, hey, so this is what you want to do. Now at that point, it's probably quite tempting for the captain. I don't know if they still have wheels like this, but I'm imagining they do. The captain to say, wonderful harbour pilot, why don't you just take over my ship and you steer it up? And the harbour pilot says, I'm not allowed to do that. There would be an insurance claim against me. That's not my role. My role is instead to advise you on what you should do as you pilot this ship towards the... But I do know the harbour pretty well. So I'm going to suggest that you go 20 degrees starboard here. 
I suggest you slow down here, it's a bit chop. Okay, yeah, now you can accelerate. There, the, if you're not careful, the current will drag you towards that sandbank, so slow right down and turn to, turn to port. Now, sometimes when the harbour pilot's doing this, the captain decides that he knows best. And the captain on occasion, and it's happened on a couple of occasions in your country, calamitous consequences have ensued because the captain has said, I don't think the harbour pilot's right about this. In Oregon, and I'm sure you would say, yeah, Oregon, but in Oregon, a ship crashed into a four-lane highway by ignoring a harbour pilot. In Georgia, a tanker collided with a natural gas dock and there was a huge lawsuit about whether it was the captain or the harbour pilot. And so this kind of thing happens from time to time. People can ignore the advice of the person who knows. Now, when you and I repent of our sins and trust in Jesus, we start on a pretty narrow way, right? We've been, that's what Jesus calls it, isn't it? We've been out on the open ocean doing what we want. And then we come and say, no, I now want to follow the narrow way. I want to follow the path that leads to life. And there are dangers around. And we don't know the course ahead of us very well. So we radio for the Holy Spirit. We say, Jesus, I need you to send me another comforter, another helper. And I need him to come and guide me what to do. And the Holy Spirit arrives and he walks up into the, the control room of our lives. And he says, I'm here. I'm the Holy Spirit. I'm here to help guide you to fullness of life in Christ. At which point we say, that's wonderful. Take over my life. Take my life. Let it be. And the Holy Spirit says, no, no, no. There would be an insurance claim against me. I, I'm not allowed to do that. In fact, Jesus died so that you could get your free will and your agency back from the power of the devil. I'm not going to take it away again. But what I will do is I will stand near you and I will guide you. I will tell you what I think you should do. I suggest that you just get up 15 minutes earlier and use some of that time to pray and read the word. I'd avoid that TV show from now on. I'm not saying everyone who watches it is evil. I'm just saying it's not going to do you any good. I'd invite that person round to your home for a meal. Maybe join that queue at the till rather than that one. I think the person at the front, may, there may be an opportunity to share Jesus with them. I'd suggest double tithing. <gasps> it's the devil. And we send him out. The, yeah, but you know, but those, that's the way the spirit works. He comes alongside us and he guides us. And we still have a choice to obey or not. We can say, ah, what's the Holy Spirit? No. And we can crash the ship straight into a four-lane highway. But his goal for us is to reach the harbour safely. And as Paul puts it in Romans 8, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. And that's Paul's understanding of what a Christian is. It's a person who is led, guided, directed by the Holy Spirit. And then the third and final image is the most evocative one for me, which is when Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. It's a powerful picture. And in my experience, it's also a very confusing one for people. Because people often ask at least two questions. Here. They go, why do I need to be filled with the Spirit? Surely if I'm filled with the Spirit, why do I need to keep doing it? I'm like, do I leak? What is going on here? Can the Holy Spirit be spilled? Why do I need to keep being filled? And the other question people ask is, how? How do I be filled with the Spirit? I mean, how do I obey a passive verb? Right? That's not how, if I say phone your mum, you can go, okay, I know how to do that. But if I say be phoned by your mum, you're like, what do you mean? I can't be phoned. I can't be filled. I can't obey a passive verb. What am I supposed to do here? Are you saying, is this like a habit I'm supposed to have? Is this an experience I'm supposed to have? And if so, what is it? And I think we can answer all of those questions by using a third image, or I suppose a fourth. We had looked at fruit briefly, but using these different images about keeping in step, keeping in rank, 
than the harbour pilot leading us. But I think there's a third image we can use here, which is to think about sailing. And I imagine a lot of people probably where you are sail, or you know people who do. Um, obviously in London, my church in London, almost nobody does, but maybe where you are. But in Greek, the words for spirit and wind and breath, you may, have, you may know this already, are the same word. And so to say to be filled with the spirit in Greek is the same as to say be filled with the breath, which is the same as to say be filled with the wind. So when people in New Testament Greek hear the phrase be filled with the spirit, they're not thinking about the spirit probably as a liquid. They're thinking about the spirit as like a wind or a breath. And that makes a big difference to the image, right? Because I think if you say in English, be filled with the spirit, people hear it in water-based aquatic terms, right? They think about a watering can or something or a cup being full and then being leaked or spilled or whatever. So they have to get more. But if you speak New Testament Greek, and I know most of us don't, but Paul did, and so did the Galatians and the Ephesians, the image is not of a leaky watering can being filled. The image is of a sailing boat being filled with the wind or the breath or the Spirit of God. It's a dynamic image that's going somewhere, not a static image that's trying not to spill anything. And that answers the why question. Why do I need to be filled with the spirit, wind, breath? Because if, I don't, if I'm in a sailboat and I don't get filled with the wind, I'm not going to go anywhere. And it also answers the how question. Is being filled with the wind or breath or spirit, is that a habit or is it an experience? And the answer is yes. It is a habit and it's experience. Being filled with the wind, if you're on a sailing boat, if you've had that joy, being filled with the wind. I, I remember the first time it happened to me on a sailing boat. and I, I was just flying at a speed I couldn't believe was possible on a sailing boat. We just caught the right combination of wind and tide in the Solent, which is just southern England around the Isle of Wight. And we were flying. I thought I was going to take off. It was the most, I was like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever had. You know, I just, just couldn't believe it. It's still one of the most exhilarating moments in my life. And what happens when you are filled with the wind like that is you are filled with a power from beyond yourself and it is utterly exhilarating and you know perfectly well that you're not providing the power. Right? If particularly if you happen to go sailing straight after going rowing. Right? The Bible does talk about powering yourself using your own muscles. It calls it walking in the flesh. And it also talks about being powered by the spirit, the pneuma, the ruach of God. Being filled with the spirit or the wind. And it is an experience. It's a powerful experience. And the power comes from someone who isn't you. But even though it's an experience, it is also a habit. If you don't pull the main sheet fast or adjust the jib or put up the spinnaker when you need to, you won't go anywhere even if the wind is blowing. Right? You'll just sit there with the wind flap just flapping uselessly. It's possible for the wind to be blowing and the boat not to go anywhere if you are not adjusting your sails and the direction of travel and the rudder and everything else to the reality of where the wind is going. In other words, sailing is the result, is the process of attentively responding to an external power, right? That's what sailing is. I know we don't really often use that language, but that's what you do when you sail. You are attentively responding to an external power. The power's not you, right? You're not in the flesh, you're not rowing, but even though the power isn't from you, there's still actually plenty you need to do to catch and make best use of the power that's coming to you. And in the same way, being filled with the Spirit is the art of attentive responsiveness to an external power. Right? He comes upon us, upon us powerfully. 
There are things, but there at the same time, there are things that you and I can do in order to make best use of that power. Habits that we can cultivate to respond well. And in Ephesians 5 alone, Paul mentions singing and thanksgiving and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So there are things that we can do. You know, you say, okay, how do I be filled with the Spirit? I say, well, in a sense, this power comes from beyond me, but there are habits I can develop that will enable me to put my sails up and be filled with God, and I'm going to sing to one another. I'm going to thank. I'm going to declare. I'm going to address one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Even if I'm encountering church on a computer, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it in my living room. I'm going to sing because I know that this is a means by which the Holy Spirit will seize my life and propel me forward with power. I'm going to submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. And as I do those things, I am adjusting the habits in my life to best be filled with the Spirit of God who comes from beyond me. Life in the Spirit involves walking in the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, being filled by the Spirit. And as we do those things, we produce the fruit of the Spirit. Notice that all of those pictures involve movement, right? We are marching somewhere. We are being led somewhere. We are having our sails filled to go somewhere. And our destination, the harbour, if you like, is the likeness of Christ. That's where the Holy Spirit wants to take us, to the ever-increasing union with and conformity to the image of Jesus. And as we travel with and in and by the Holy Spirit, we become more and more like the Saviour, like the Son. And then when we finally see him, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of walking with your son, Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, whom you have given to us. May we walk with him in wisdom. May we be led by him into holiness. And may we be filled by him with all power to the glory of your name. Amen.